0: Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I talk with Sherman Allen. He's been acting in TV and film since he got his SAG card in 1983, and nowadays he's busier than ever. We talk about his roles on shows like Better Call Saul and Longmire, and we also touch on his upcoming film, Soldado, which is a follow-up to the Oscar-nominated Sicario. Let's get into it. And here we are with Sherman Allen. Sherman, how are you?
1: Uh, Man, I'm great, Tim. I I really dig your show. I I think uh, it's a good thing you're doing, and you do it very well. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you on today and uh, talk about all the things that you've done over your career. To to call you just an actor is kind of limiting. uh...
1: Yeah, I, uh, you know, you probably, I mean, I'm not famous, so I don't really expect people to, to know a lot of this stuff about me but i've i'm a, also a guitar player you know good enough to have made a living at it from time to time i'm not the best but i can get by oh yeah and um
0: i've seen you play at the uh, cat and fiddle i think it was
1: a cat and the fiddle god dog that was a while ago yeah i was that there was a fun, <laughs> that was a fun scene that's back when there was a music business some of you may remember that <laughs> um, but uh yeah i i grew up in texas and uh um I figured out early on that, uh, acting was, was, you know, my life's goal, but I grew up in a time and a place where everybody played guitar, man. Dallas in the 1970s was, was the big guys played football and guys, my size played guitar. It was the only chance you had with chicks. I mean, music's great too. Don't get me wrong. uh, But I grew up watching, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Bugs Henderson and, a lot, of, a lot of brilliant guitar, Jimmy Vaughn, and on and on, I could name a dozen of them. And it was just a really great... Uh, and the drinking age was 18 then, so you could get into nightclubs at a really young age for like a buck, to see the best music ever. Anyhow, yeah, uh, I'm an actor who also plays guitar well enough to, to truly get by. I mean, I can jump up with, with pros and, and not embarrass myself so i gotta say i'm I'm in my fifties now, and my dream job is still to have a, an acting gig where at some point I pick up a guitar and show that I can really do it that that would be like the ego rush of all oh, time yeah hadn't happened yet. We'll see
0: well, it's funny how how so many creative people and performers cross over from acting to music and music to acting it happens all the time
1: well the old saying is music uh, movie stars all want to be rock stars and, and vice versa and i was with mm-hmm. uh, his name's going to come up in this in this uh interview i'm very close with lou diamond phillips and i'm not being cute we go known him my whole life and we're still mm-hmm. we're still close he's the reason i'm here in santa fe in the film business actually when lou was among the most famous movie stars in the world i'm talking about like 1990 coming off of Labamba and Young Guns and Stand and Deliver and so on. Um, we were living in Hollywood, and he had entree to anything. And I will always remember John Entwistle, Ox, the the uh, bass player for the Who. Oh wow! Kind of kind of glomming onto us at a at a table in the China Club, and really just kind of falling at Lou's feet. Huh. And Lou said, "Yeah, but but you're a rock star, man." <laughs> And it was a like, goes, yeah, but you get to play with guns. <laughs> real jealous of that.
0: Yeah, well, uh and, Lou Diamond pulled it off, right, with uh, Your Dream. He got to rock out and act in in La Bamba.
1: Yeah, it, he did and, and it was a it was a um it was really Los Lobos doing the music, but this was during the height of MTV. And so uh It was an A movie. It was beautifully filmed, La Bamba, and before the movie was even released, like in the days leading up to it, um, you could see Los Lobos in these videos from the movie and Lou lip-syncing all on MTV, and it was just like this explosion of fame and music and fun, and um, I always, in Dallas, was a medium guitar player, but a pretty good actor compared to the competition, so I could always get work acting in my hometown of Dallas And then when I moved to Los Angeles, 10 billion actors and uh, not many people who played guitar the way I play guitar. It was in Los Angeles then and now it was focused on like studio perfection and really fast scale runs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I play more, my playing sounds like, you know, a a batch of barbecued ribs. And Mm -hmm. so I was able to sort of uh, uh, punch above my weight musically in, in Los Angeles. I ended up recording with Melissa Etheridge and, Playing live with Steve Lukather and a lot of other people, uh, and it was it was really it's really fun. And and now I'm I'm in Santa Fe working more in what I hope we're going to talk about some on this is is in the uh, indie film business. And my special love these days is uh, cable TV. I just think that's where the sweet spot is between having a nice budget. Here's here's a, a stinger for your show. The difference between indie film and big budget filmmaking. In one, I'm changing my clothes in a trailer, with a with a with a PA bringing me breakfast, and in the other, I'm changing my clothes standing in a parking lot between two parked cars. And right. That's that's really in a nutshell what it is. Uh, I I've just come off of uh, about eight months of work uh, uh, on both sides of the camera for Get Shorty, and for Longmire here in Santa Fe. Yeah,
0: Longmire. That is such a interesting story with the, the fan support and the cancel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's rare. It got dropped after season three and the fan backlash was huge. And there was some behind the scenes politics, no doubt about it. But the good side of the behind the scenes stuff is the show was extremely healthy. The cast all got along. There was nobody drunk or angry or, you know, Mm -hmm. any, any, any foolishness that can kind of sink a ship. Otherwise, and we were able to crank out 60 minutes in eight days. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, seven-day show. And Longmire was notorious uh, for being just uh, uh, logistically kind of impossible. We would do five moves a day, Tim, five a day, and that's 30 trucks. From, wow. From passenger vans to 48-footers and shorty 40s and that's a ton of setups i couldn't count the setups but you know five five moves Damn. and we're trying to get but the show what happened was the show went to 60 minutes it used to be a 42 minute show for three years on amc mm-hmm. i beg your pardon i beg your pardon any any i worked mm-hmm. on better call saul on amc and i get them mixed up sometimes
0: um yeah so, so many good it, well, things you worked on man uh, i want to hear about them all
1: well you know so yeah I, I was in the cast of longmire and i played a bad guy they put me in jail and now that the show's off the air forever presumably i guess i'm going to stay in jail uh are no. never letting Fiend the pharmacist out but uh, i loved the show so much and and uh i wasn't acting enough to pay all my bills i'm a single dad that i got my teamster card and now i work driving in films and and uh and TV shows when I'm not, when I'm not getting acting work and audition. I've had three auditions this month via, um, self tape. That's becoming more of the way, um, you know, I'm able to, sh- I'm able to shoot myself in a, in a, in a house in Santa Fe. And it ends up going to a thumbnail there in Los Angeles where you are. And, uh, you know, sometimes I book them. Sometimes I don't.
0: Is there a difference between auditioning for a, cable show versus a network show or is it all basically the same process
1: that's a great question um the the thing i noticed i mean uh i audition like i audition Mm -hmm. was it was it uh thelonious monk had a line that's kind of a north star to me he said the genius is the one who is most like himself so as a musician and as an actor I try to truly, truly, truly be honest and alive in that second when you're performing. It's a separate part of the brain. Performers know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my job is to be thinking the right thing at the perfect moment. Mm. And uh, so that's kind of, in an audition, the way I gauge whether it went okay afterwards is whether I gave the audition that I hoped to give. That's really the only thing that, that, uh, that I have to live with. But to your question, there's an extra layer of hassle with the big networks. And I've never, Mm. I don't think, been on NBC or CBS or ABC or Fox. Uh, I've come close. But I can tell you that your audition gets sent to another layer of, let's call them suits, in Los Angeles or New York, who have to sign off on the casting decision. Mm. and. I don't know if that has cost me work, uh, you know, because I just wouldn't be privy to that information,
0: right? Um, let me ask you about acting, and and maybe it's a personal question, but uh, what 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 is the best part about acting for you, emotionally or or performance wise? Uh, what what gives you the most kick?
1: It's a great question, Tim. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, well. Who said that, you know, th- talking about acting is like dancing about architecture? It's its its own thing. <laughs> acting is a thing, uh, like music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you can describe the singing of Ray Charles or you can listen to the singing of Ray Charles. It's It's two different things. And to be in a scene that's grooving and to supply a magic ingredient that lifts up the scene – and has the writer and the director... Lou calls it the look. It's when it's when they yell cut and whoever, you know, the casting director, the director, gives you the look, like, I did not see that coming. Wow. Right. That's kind of the best. That moment when you get the look, when you go, yep, kind of nailed the shit out of that, didn't I? You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's a great feeling because not everybody can do that.
0: Right. And I'm sure sometimes the the... The camera guys have tears in their eyes. It's so good.
1: It's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's harder than it looks, man, to stand on the X with a camera pointed at you and 20 people running around and all kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. to, to have a tender little vulnerable moment that serves the story to, to, um, I, I said earlier something like I audition, like I audition, I've got this thing, you know, I've got this way of, of being in a scene that is sort of a dog whistle, and I put it out there, and some people absolutely love the way I audition and act, and some people don't get it at all. I just went through a rather difficult uh, thing on set, on a big, big movie, big movie, mm-hmm. where the director, the director kept saying, be authoritative, be authoritative, and I'm thinking to myself, going, "I've I've met some of the most powerful people you'd ever want to meet, and they wear t-shirts, and they're looking down at their iPhones. They're not. Right. They're not Charlton Heston in the 1950s, you know, with that phony authoritativeness. So it's, it's a, it's a hard needle to thread and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. That's the other thing is sometimes you'll, you'll get a job that pays thousands of dollars. You get a trailer and you go home at the end of the day and you want to slit your throat. Right.
0: And how much of it is in, in the eyes itself? Like I I can feel in myself, I don't do much acting at all, but when you're happy, you know they I'm Irish, they say when Irish eyes are smiling, you know there <laughs> you can literally smile with your eyes and and turn on that twinkle and and you know or that rage it, a lot of it's in the eyes do you focus on that a lot or is it more of a all encompassing thing
1: god that's that's a perceptive thing to say that i would I've never had this conversation, hmm. but yeah man um when when I'm in a scene with you, and we're in. It's a two, and we're in profile. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick one eye or the other to look at for various reasons. Um, you know, it is it is part of the the little secret uh, tricks of the trade. Yeah. And, but a, a lot of it is helping feed the other actor. Uh, um, my favorite, my, I think Lou just absolutely crushed this Henry Standing Bear for six years on Longmire. Oh yeah. But I, there's one scene with this little old Indian woman who's telling him a story where Lou's eyes bug out for a minute. Like she said something completely unexpected and it kind of knocks him off his chair. There's one of the great moments of acting I've ever seen in my life. Huh. And it's really nothing except him kind of going, Bong? you know, it's like, I didn't I didn't expect this little old broad to say that, but it's, it's uh, it's a magic, you know, if anybody could do it, we'd all have a mansion in, in Pacific Palisades.
0: Right. Yeah. And they, and they say, uh, of, Acting for camera, it's a lot of uh, small movements, obviously, as opposed to uh,
1: stage. Of course, you have to size the performance, and not only that, but you know, I'll, I will quietly try to get when I'm in an office auditioning. Where are you cutting me? You cutting me at the waist? You cutting me at the elbows? Mm-hmm. Are you cutting me at the bottom of my chin? I need to know that. Now, that's not that's a dangerous thing in the wrong hands, but but I've been auditioning a long time, and it and it uh, it helps me without creating problems. I hope you know on a good day. But I choke sometimes. I do. I choke sometimes. It's before, and I choke with my guitar in front of an audience sometimes. This is not, this is not a static fixed thing. You know, you're being alive in the moment, and, and uh, sometimes it goes great, and sometimes it doesn't. And I will tell you, that's one thing I do not like about. I've I've straddled. I got my uh, SAG card in 1983, wow. and I'd been acting almost 10 years by then. Um, so I've seen it go from film to digital. And they used to treat film stock like diamonds. I mean, they would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and and then Mm -hmm. shoot a little bit. And nowadays they'll shoot a thousand takes and nobody, nobody, not Meryl Streep, not Nicholson, nobody has a thousand perfect takes in them. So I know these shitty takes of me floating out there. And Well, we can't use takes four through 12 because there was a red car in the background. We didn't notice that on the day. You know, so things get edited out for everything but performance reasons and it's Mm. uh it's it's kind of cruel you know it's it's an unfortunate uh uh development of of modern filmmaking is just the limitless number of takes it doesn't cost anything to shoot an extra 50 takes
0: the love for for hollywood and film and tv it just kind of oozes out of you or radiates from you you're i mean you just love the business
1: i do can i talk about a script that i'm i'm selling right now or trying to sell I would love to hear about your script. Yeah. It just occurred to me one day that when I was a child, say 1970, I was already a TV nut, even as a little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I would see people like Bob Hope, Jack Benny, George Burns, Jimmy Durante, and they were not funny. They just weren't funny. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, why are these guys world famous when they don't have no chops?
0: Right.
1: And, and, uh, well, I'm older now and now I understand oh, I was seeing them when they were seventy years old. Of course they weren't on fire. If I'm seventy years old and and I'm Jack Benny or George Burns and I'm living on Roxbury and I get a call saying, Hey, you wanna come down and do the Glenn Campbell show and take a pie in the face for five thousand bucks? Sure. Yeah, why not? Right. And and really, we're talking about old Jewish comedians who eat a bowl of soup and go to bed. They weren't Jim Morrison. They weren't, you know, dying of drugs in their twenties. Right. And and uh so that world became fascinating to me. This sort of the the last surviving vaudevillians living into the era of crap uh, uh variety show TV. And I called uh, my my pal Miguel Ferrer. He's a very beloved character actor. He died of cancer six months ago, and we were. He was best man at my wedding. We were you know, um, very close. And I called him when I had the idea that I just told you. And he said, yeah, sure. You need, you need a task that these old farts are uniquely qualified to solve. I don't know if it's a crime. I don't know what to tell you on that. Mm. Well, I had been really fascinated with the O.J. Simpson case 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll create an O.J. Simpson type murder scandal in the 1950s and in the 1970s had these old farts uh, be front and center on reopening of that case. So that's what it's about. I like it. And I ended up uh, um, connecting with the funniest human being I've ever known, a guy named Tom Leopold. He was a writer for Seinfeld and for Cheers. He's still a writer. Oh, wow. And his his best friends are, like I'm close with Lou, his pals are Paul Schaefer and the Spinal Tap guys, all three of them, oh, Mike McCrayon and and uh, uh, Harry Shearer and, and Chris Guest, they've all, and Tom Leopold, they've known each other a million years. So Tom um, was nice enough to let me send him the script because he shares my obsession with this kind of shitty era in show business around 1970 mm-hmm. uh, when they were repackaging old farts like we talked about. Yeah. He, he loves this stuff. He made a joke in a novel that I just read by Tom Leopold called um, uh, Milton Marty. About B.S. Pulley. I bet a hundred bucks you can't tell me who B.S. Pulley is, Tim. Do you know who that is?
0: No. I, I wouldn't even Have try. Ever,
1: yeah, right. Have you ever seen Guys and Dolls? The Marlon Brando, Frank Sinatra Guys and Dolls? From the yes, 50s? yes. Okay. B.S. Pulley is is the guy with a voice like that who scares him into giving him all that dough. I no. got a point 33 arrests and no conviction. <laughs> he, was, he was this filthy comedian like Red Fox and Lenny Bruce and stuff back in the day. Uh, and... Uh, so Tom made this joke about B.S. Pulley and I'm like, I think I'm in love with this guy. I've n- Nobody, nobody but this is, that joke is for six people on planet Earth and I'm one of them. <laughs> so uh, he's been kind enough to, to uh, say, yeah, I'll help you with structure, I'll help you with jokes and what I'm kind of thinking now Tim is, what I've got is a feature script, mm-hmm. 100 pages, 110 page comedy, something like that. Um, and I'm really now thinking of limited series. I really think yeah. That's the best stuff right now.
0: TV today, obviously, they say it's the golden age of TV right now, right? Big sure. film stars are now going to to TV, whereas in the past, they would never do that. Um, right. But it also opens up sort of a cinematic universe. In the case of Breaking Bad, um, the sequel, Better Call Saul, in the same world, you know? And it continues yes. on.
1: My brother Bill was on um, Breaking Bad and when I moved out here, they were shooting like the last two episodes of Breaking Bad. I couldn't, I couldn't get a hold of that. Hmm. And uh, but I did book a role on Better Call Saul, and they told me on the day that they might bring my character back. That they loved to do that, and that my character was the kind that might come back. Nice. And so I feel like Bill and I got our hands on the on, you know, maybe almost like the Godfather saga of of my generation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I think I think re- I really think people will be watching. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Tens of years from now, I, I honestly believe that. So it means a hell of a lot to me to have, in some in some small way, you know, gotten my fingerprints on that.
0: Oh, and yeah.
1: and with my bro- with my brother too. It's very meaningful to me.
0: They're definitely going to be watching it and watching you two in it because I mean, my mom still watches Perry Mason episodes. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, don't get,
1: don't get me started. I'm still watching you know, <laughs> Spencer Tracy movies from before he was famous. So. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I can now talk about, uh, um, there was a movie that was up for three Oscars called Sicario a couple of years ago, starring Josh Brolin, Benicio Del Toro, and Emily mm-hmm. Blunt. Sure. Now the second chapter, it's not a sequel, it's not a prequel, it's just an, uh, an overlapping uh, story with some of the same cast. I play a four-star general, and I kind of explain to Josh Brolin and Matthew Modine what his dirty mission is going to be in the movie. So they pretty much can't <laughs> cut me out. It's, it's exposition. It, oh, it's called Soldado. It comes out in a few months. And I'm very proud of uh, the, what I, my part. in. It. Oh, I'm
0: excited to see that. That's going to be great.
1: I'm in my trailer on the day on Soldado. Tap, tap, tap on the door. Yeah, man, what's up? Matthew Modine wants to know if you could come to his uh, trailer and help run lines. Yeah, I believe I could do that. Wow. I was only vague, I was only vaguely aware that Modine was in the movie. I didn't know he was in my scene, seat, my seat, possessive pronoun. So I went into <laughs> I went into his trailer, which was somewhat larger than mine. And <laughs> yeah. uh, there's Josh Brolin, Catherine Keener, who was an Oscar nominee that I worked with years ago, uh, Matthew wow. Modine, and I don't remember who else. But we're running lines, and I'm like, you know, it's one of those deals. of I'm I'm, I'm scared somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, "What are you doing here?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, this, this trailer's for real actors. So that's, that's amazing, you
0: know, and I'm sure the uh, the food's better on those big
1: budget well, productions. Well, look, I'm not, really a lobster, <laughs> I'm not really a lobster guy, Tim, but yeah, they they did have lobster on the on the nice at the catering. Wow, <laughs> no lobster on your shoot? What's up? <laughs> no,
0: no, nope. Uh, hey,
1: when I when I'm acting with Matthew Modine and Josh Brolin, I need to get my lobster on, Gosh, right? yeah. Okay, uh,
0: you need stuff from the bottom of the ocean <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i love I love your show and I love what you're doing man truly I'm impressed and and you're and you're a wonderful guy I've known you for years and uh, it makes me so happy to see you do what you're doing man
0: well thanks man and i'm I'm always super excited when uh I hear you you're on a new show or 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 something like that working on a new film um, when I see
1: the breakdowns Tim you know what breakdowns are but true. in case somebody doesn't that's a hey we're shooting uh a new NBC pilot about Navy SEALs. And here are the five characters we're looking for local casting in Santa Fe for. I can look at the breakdowns and I'm a little white haired middle-aged guy who went to college. So there are certain parts that I'm going to be read for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll look and I'll see, you know, this is Joe. He's in his fifties and uh, he's a pissed off, um, you know, police captain who throws a, a, hot-headed cop out of his office i'm like okay i'll be reading for that (laughs) and i know that ralph will and i know that steve will and if they want the tall handsome one they'll hire steve and if they want the handlebar mustache guy they'll hire ralph and if they want the one that looks like me and i'll walk into the office you know hey ralph hey steve what up guys and we're not even we don't even dislike each other it's like well and the other thing the world is so small here that if if i get cast in longmire then i get removed from the competition. They don't have to worry about me next time they're up for longmire cuz i've already punched that ticket. Right. So i've out here i've acted in manhattan tv show uh uh Preacher tv show, wow. better call saul, uh longmire and probably a few others i'm not thinking of. All those shows are super popular and yeah man, it's yes, yeah, good. That's amazing.
0: I know it's a different time and different place, but if you could speak to young uh, Sherman getting his SAG card, 1983, what bit of advice would you give him or a young actor today?
1: Oh man. Uh, Get better at money. Hmm. You know, figure, figure out, figure out how to have some money.
0: Yeah. That's, that's important if you want to
1: survive, right? It's, it's, it's like, it's like breathing, man. You're not going to get, I mean, it's not, it's not anywhere near the whole story, but, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to, um, I've, I've finally figured out a hustle, Tim, and no no two people have the same hustle if they're going to make it in this business mm-hmm. and, and make it. Uh, uh, show business is a walled city, like Rome. Is Rome a walled city? You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's, a, it's, a, it's a walled city and once in a while a gap appears and somebody slips through and gets inside the city and then the gap closes behind them and everybody goes, hey, where's the gap? I want in too. And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. So Everybody's hustle is different, and it's the fact that um, right now I'm working behind the scenes with the top dogs in the area of TV that I wish to be part of that that gives me enough dough to take a few months off and audition and write. You know, that's what my hustle is right now in 2017, oh, yeah. and and I've been at this a minute, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I was a, I, I, uh, and it also helps to be castable. Uh, I was a good actor in my 20s, but I was not castable. I'm I'm about five six and a half, and I was kind of pretty then, the kind of leading man looks ish. I've seen no pictures. No... Good looking guy. Yeah, I was. I did all right, but but I couldn't get any film work. Now I look like the father of the shitty teenager, or I look like the crooked bank manager, mm-hmm. or I look like the I look like the guy whose BMW gets stolen from him at gunpoint. And there's not there's a role for me in every movie, every TV show. So I just I just waited it out. Uh, I, I survived and hung in there until I'm more castable. And now I've had three auditions for real projects here in, in this month. You know, real real projects. That's and fantastic. I've got, uh, got a new movie coming out. And, you know, there's mailbox money waiting for me every couple of weeks. So things are pretty groovy. Yeah, man. That's what I'd say to the kids is, you know, it helps to not suck. Don't suck at acting. If you want to be an actor, be good at it. You know, whatever, however you get there. But also, um, if you're so broke, that you have to bust your ass sixty hours a week at a job that won't let you off for auditions, uh, you you can't work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just would have been.
1: Yeah, and I came I came from no money. Dad Dad was a car salesman. Mom was a nurse. So there was no there was no nest egg waiting for me. I had to figure it out.
0: Well, they would both be proud. A family of actors and musicians. They produced.
1: Um, you know what? You're you're damn right. They would. I I, mm-hmm. I miss my parents every day, and they would be proud.
0: Well, I'm proud of you. And uh, I want to thank you again, Sherman, for being on my podcast. It's so insightful and entertaining, and uh, you're you're the best, man.
1: Oh, go on, Lumpy. <laughs> the business.
0: No, but really, I'm really excited. Uh, I can't wait to get this one up. And um, yeah, man, thanks.
1: A, a total pleasure, pal. Keep knocking them dead. I'm proud of you.
0: Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to go to the website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That'd really help us out. Before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough... Indie Film Grid.